This is the WFG National Title Insider Report, your weekly download on the market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending to keep you informed and ahead of the market. In this download, Executive Vice President for Agency Development, Chuck Kane joins us with a timely update on fair housing. Hey, Chuck, thanks for joining us. How did you become involved in fair housing initiatives? Well, thanks, Brian. And uh, like many people in our industry, I started as a a title searcher. Uh, I happened to be in law school, but uh, that's often an entry-level job. And the first time I really encountered fair housing was in looking at old deed and subdivision restrictions. And this goes back to like 1978. And uh, in many subdivisions, one would find uh, deed restrictions that would prohibit the sale of property to Jews, to, as it generally was laid out, Negroes or colored people. And you would find these deed restrictions. The Fair Housing Act obviously made all these types of restrictions illegal. But you'd see these uh, historic or uh, uh, archaic things in uh, deeds as you did examinations. And quite often, because they were part of the deed description, they'd build them right in, and it may involve restrictions as to other nature, as to size of house, setback lines, practical things. Sometimes someone would get a deed, and they would have these restrictions in there, and uh, and especially if the purchaser were in one of these groups that was said to be restricted, it was very offensive. And uh, it was, uh, you know, to my mind, the first time I ever encountered this type of thing, but When we talk about fair housing, the Fair Housing Act extends beyond what is sometimes thought to be. Back in the early 90s, I was working with uh, a local savings loan here in the Cincinnati metro area. And the fellow who ran their mortgage department and I were talking, and he was very upset. Uh, They had a loan committee, which was very typical of thrifts at that point in time. And his loan committee, as was typical of the 160 savings and loans we had in the metro area, uh, was made up of board members and attorneys. And he said, frankly, it's all a bunch of white guys over 60 years of age. He said, "Um, I had submitted an application for a single white female junior executive with one of the larger companies in Cincinnati to buy a house that was quite large and a house that in modern numbers would probably be worth a half a million dollars. And uh, she was turned down for the loan. Her credit was fine. There were no issues in regard to her application, but she was turned down because the majority of the people on his loan committee didn't think that a single woman really needed a house that big if she didn't have children. Uh, The idea that someone would be turned down for a loan on that basis is absurd. And also in the 1990s, I sat on a committee uh, examining fair credit availability put together by the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. And in a committee meeting, an appraiser who happened to be a young African-American man uh, stood up and uh, discussed appraisal of real estate. And he had graduated just a few years before from the University of Cincinnati and had taken appraisal classes there. He said, let me read to you from what is still the standard backbone text uh, in regard to appraisal of real estate. And he read a passage through that discussed ethnic neighborhoods 
and what an appraiser should do in regard to an African-American neighborhood or an Hispanic neighborhood and what to expect and how to downgrade properties based off of the ethnicity of the people who were the predominant occupiers of that neighborhood. He said, this is still being taught at the University of Cincinnati today. And this was about 1994. Later in the 1990s, I was involved with the Cincinnati Mortgage Bankers Association. I was a trustee there, and and we developed um, fair uh, lending best practices for the local MBA. It was the first one in the country, and three of us received special citations from uh, the Federal Housing Commissioner because we were the first ones to ever put together something as to what were the standards of a local mortgage bankers association. So this is something that uh, I've been involved in for a number of years, and you know what led me to it was the experience of seeing just how uh, the issue of fair housing was still somewhat insidious as to how it was still being obviated and how it was still uh, being defeated. Uh, there was a statistic that was put out about six years ago by HUD, and they set forth that essentially 42% or thereabout of people who own homes in the United States today would not necessarily qualify or have the availability of owning their own home if the Fair Housing Act had not passed in the 1960s. Because it's not just people who are in the African-American community or the Hispanic community or any of the ethnic communities. It's a list of protected classes that include single females. So it, uh, it is very important, and it's very important to us in our business as business people as well as American citizens. Yeah, that's great perspective, Chuck. And uh, you mentioned past in the 1960s, and yet you were sharing stories from the early 1990s. And uh, those of us who have been around the block a couple times, uh, we remember that. Now, I wasn't in the position you were as a title examiner, but I want you to maybe share how the recent issues in the economy uh, maybe the impact and the effect they have on fair housing and and what the you know administration's position has been on this because you know you talk about a 30-year run from the time fair housing passed to a moment in your world where this was still going on and fast forward another 30 years and we still have issues uh, there's no question about that Brian and uh, and obviously with the uh, uh, turn down in the economy because of the uh, uh, COVID shutdowns, we, you know, we see what the unemployment rates that spiked a disproportionate number of the unemployed uh, are in uh, the lower income jobs. The necessary statistic that has followed is that uh, that disproportionately affects minorities because quite often those they are in those lower income jobs. Housing is the same. And uh, recently, uh, the NBA had their legal uh, issues uh, conference, a virtual conference online. And the general counsel for Freddie Mac uh, discussed that his biggest concern in the upcoming two to three years was the availability of affordable housing, particularly in minority communities. That uh, uh, the ability to uh, have the credit to be able to uh, buy houses was going to be his major concern for the next two to three years. And um, the forbearance that has come into play obviously has been helpful. 
And now as we get more rules as to how this all works in regard to forbearance, but it's still, if you've got into forbearance, uh, it does not, according to the rules, affect or impugn your credit rating. However, if you are in forbearance, as the rules currently set forward, there can be a note on a credit history that you were in forbearance. The thought that that would not impact availability of credit is a great concern to regulators. And I will say that, um, you know, in the Trump administration, well, the Trump administration generally has been, I think one could safely say, a very pro-business climate. The CFPB and HUD, acting through the Department of Justice, has been particularly vigorous uh, in regard to redlining cases by lenders into their investigations and uh, into uh, prosecutions and settlements. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's been a little surprising because, again, they've generally sort of been more hands-off, more pro-business, but they've been very activist in this area. Uh, and they have found what they believe to be redlining. Now, there could be arguments about what constitutes redlining other than what is clearly obvious, but uh, it is certainly something that the administration is concerned about. And uh, it's just simply an impact of any sort of economic downturn that uh, minorities tend to be more affected by these downturns uh, than uh, the majority uh, population. Yeah, it's a very important issue. And I have to add to what you just said, Chuck, because, you know, at the outset of this, you know, way back at the beginning in mid-March, and I won't name names here, but uh, an economist I spoke with said, ah, nothing to worry about here. These are just the, this is just the restaurant industry. These are the lower wage jobs. So, hey, everything's going to be fine. Obviously, we know that's not the case now. But when I heard that, honestly, I was appalled because, you know, you're talking people who are starting out in life, working their way up, potential first-time home buyers. And we all know it's it's challenging enough as it is uh, right now as a first-time home buyer. Uh, this was the last thing anybody needed. But to just blow off that segment of society like, eh, don't worry about them. We're going to be fine. You know, I was offended by that because it's a very important, vital part of our economy, obviously, as we've found out. No doubt about that. And if someone hasn't looked in the back of a restaurant kitchen of almost any type of restaurant, whether you're at a hook cuisine restaurant or you're a, a chain fast food place, you're going to see that the majority of the people who work there in almost every area with where they're, uh, especially in the major metros, um, you're going to find that the majority of people who work there are minorities. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that that is where it lies. And uh, and particularly when you deal with uh, restaurants that have a particularly ethnic cuisine, quite often those are family owned. And um, and those people are members of minorities quite often. And if those businesses are negatively impacted or have to close, it creates a problem for uh, people not of European descent. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, a lot of family businesses here uh, that fuel this economy. Now, let's talk positives here. What positive impact um, can there possibly be by being involved in fair housing? You've been at it for a while. Maybe share that with uh, many of our title agents who are not involved. Well, I think there's tremendous business advantages. And again, you know, I wouldn't expect everyone to work based off of uh, altruistic behavior on in everything because we've got businesses to run. We have uh, families to take care of. We have employees that we are responsible to, to manage our business well. 
But uh, in my experience, and uh, when we had our uh, title agency in the 1990s, I was always very involved with first-time homebuyers classes uh, and classes that were run by community outreach organizations. If you, uh, as a title agent, if you don't know about these organizations in your community or don't have links to them, ask your lenders, because they sure do. Banks have Community Reinvestment Act requirements. And generally speaking, bank mortgage lenders are very involved, uh, as well as uh, knowledgeable mortgage brokers who simply want to get more business in these types of classes. And first-time homebuyer classes can range from just anybody who comes in as a first-time homebuyer, but a lot of them are particularly uh, focused on um, specific minorities, especially if you're talking about community outreach organizations. One can build this up on your social media campaigns. Right now, there's a lot of internal stress. I've talked to three friends who run small businesses of various types in the Cincinnati metro area. And all who and all three said that employees have approached them about, well, what are we doing in regard to our social responsibility? Are we putting signs in our window as to what we support politically? Obviously, that is a minefield. When you start putting uh, out in, onto your windows, onto your doors, uh, political maxims, whether it's to the right or the left or whatever the topic is, you run the risk of um, uh, alienating or perhaps even insulting somebody. So that's not something that anybody should do. But to be involved with these types of organizations, it's something that you can really build a very strong social media platform on. And, and I think that everything that we have seen and everything we see in the media generally is that in the last 30 days, we've seen a rise in consciousness, particularly among younger people, regardless of their ethnic or racial or religious background, uh, about the issue of social justice overall. And if you can show that, hey, you know, we're involved in housing, we are in the housing business, what we do in our industry uh, is put people in homes. And something that we are doing at our particular agency is that we are helping more people get homes than otherwise may have gotten homes because we're helping them become educated as to the process. It can be a confusing process for a sophisticated person. And uh, a class I did many years ago, again, in the 1990s, uh, it was put together by a group of nuns and they bought homes to be fixed up and then sold to uh, protected class groups in our community in Cincinnati. And I was taken back the first time I did it, one of these classes because the nuns were talking about things like, well, now you know if you own your own home and if your children want to play in your neighbor's yard, you need to go talk to your neighbor and see if that's okay. And if your furnace breaks down or you have a roof leak, you don't call the bank. You have to find someone who can repair these and you have to pay for those repairs yourself. And they went through a series of things like this. And afterwards I asked them, I said, you know, I guess, you know, that sort of seems second nature to me. Why did you need to go through that? And they said, because everybody who is here has grown up in public housing. Not only did they grow up in public housing, their parents and their grandparents grew up in public housing. They don't have any experience with anybody who's ever owned their own home. They have no idea what the concept is like. And they have no frame of reference. And these people hung on every word that these nuns said. It was news to them. So, you know, there's a, there's a value in the community 
but there's a great value that uh, when you're teaching these classes that you can put forward in regard to your agency, in regard to your business, that, look, we are engaged in in raising the the quality of life in our community because as every study has shown, the more people who own their own homes, uh, crime goes down in areas. Uh, we have uh, increased value overall in the marketplace as to all homes. When depressed communities become transitioned from rental to uh, home ownership, and these are the kind of things that you can advertise uh, as to what your experience is and tell stories about it and talk about what uh, where there are transactions where you as an agent have helped out somebody who otherwise just might not have been homeowners because they didn't understand the process. And teaching people how to do that, the HOP program that Alta came up with a few years ago, there are materials out there to do this. But reach out to lenders, reach out to those local organizations as to uh, what you can do to help teach people and how you can become engaged in this. Because not only is it, I think, personally rewarding to do it, but and that it's the right thing to do, but it will help grow your business, especially given the high level of social consciousness that um, we see now is particularly in our younger uh, uh, generation. I, I sound real old when I say that. Um, <laughs> but again, my three friends who had these businesses, uh, their employees approached them. And in one case, two of the employees weren't happy with their responses and they resigned from their job the fellow who told me this was just dumbfounded because he's in a food service business. He's like, I, I don't know what I can do, but they wanted me to go farther. You know, that being said to establish yourself as being someone preeminent in your community towards fair housing, there is no downside to this. Uh, it helps generate business. It helps improve your community. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, Chuck. Now maybe, uh, guide us a little bit on this. Where would a title agent maybe start uh, this process of, of uh, getting involved? Where, where would they go and uh, maybe share some insight there? Well, I think again, um, reach out to your local lenders, particularly the bank lenders, because uh, they have an obligation under the law in regard to reaching out to underserved and communities and protected classes. Talk to them because they're usually always looking for people to help them uh, teach classes. Also, too, there are certain organizations, particularly in the realty side, NAREB, also known as the Realtists, they've been around since the 1940s, started as a group for African-American real estate brokers and sales agents, as versus Realtor, which, as we know, is a copyrighted term, and you can ask anybody at NAR, and they will tell you that out of a deep sleep. But Realtists are a different organization. And recently they have expanded to move beyond their uh, traditional base of African-American real estate professionals to other minorities and to non-minority membership. There's also NAREP, which is the Hispanic Real Estate Professionals Association. And there's ARIA, which is the Asian-American Real Estate Association. They all have active chapters, certainly in the major metros, but one may be surprised that even in smaller towns that they have active chapters, reach out to them. They have outreach programs. I have taught classes in regard to all three of those organizations. And they are very, very grateful when you reach out because sometimes they don't know who to reach out to. 
So uh, there's a lot of ways to do it, but I think always that uh, reaching out to a local lender, a local bank lender in particular, that um, uh, it's uh, it's an easier route, and quite often they are already engaged in it. And they can tell you what other organizations, especially community outreach organizations. There was one here in Cincinnati called Housing Opportunities Made Equal that I was always involved in, did a lot of FHA training. Um, they will happily tell you who the players are in your community that, to, uh, would be beneficial for you to be uh, engaged with. Great insight as always, Chuck. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I'll, uh, I'll just finish off uh, a quote uh, from uh, Theodore Roosevelt that I found particularly meaningful recently. And Theodore Roosevelt said over 100 years ago that this country will not be a good place for any of us to live in if it is not a reasonably good place for all of us to live in. Thanks to Chuck Kane, WFG's Executive Vice President for Agency Development, for joining us. And thank you for partnering with WFG. To learn more about our unique process, systems, and technology, visit WFGAgent.com. And to leverage the buying power of the WFG Blocks program, including access to cost-effective health insurance plans, visit WFGBlocks.com. 